Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Last week, the news site The Oakland Side published a story documenting the ways that the civil war in Ethiopia has affected people from all the ethnic groups of that country. Tens of thousands of Ethiopians live in the Bay Area, and for many of them, the heartbreak and anger over what's happening in East Africa has been compounded by the lack of interest or even basic knowledge from their fellow Bay residents. Hundreds of thousands of Ethiopians now face starvation, and close to five million people have been displaced. Yet our government officials have not given the crisis close to the same attention as the war in Ukraine. So today we're going to talk with members of different Ethiopian communities here in the Bay Area about how they're coping with the tragedy back home and holding their people together here. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. For many Ethiopians in the Bay Area right now, it's like there's two worlds. In one world... Sun shining, kids are playing, there's soccer and coffee in church. And then simultaneously, there are absolute horrors happening, both far away and right there on their phones, in their hands. It's hard to know, too, that your neighbors aren't even aware that your home country or your parents' country is suffering. On this show, we're not going to be able to provide the deep dive into the long-standing systemic issues of the Ethiopian state and the many ethnic groups who live in its borders. But we also know that many of our listeners need some context for the war and now ensuing humanitarian crisis. We intend here to focus on the crisis as well as the effects of the war on life in the Bay in the Ethiopian community. All that said, these are difficult and very emotional topics and Independent observers have reported on many atrocities, particularly in the north of Ethiopia and the Tigray, but also in other areas of the country and with other ethnic groups as victims. This could be a hard show for our guests and for some of you listening, too. Joining us to lay out the context for the war, we're joined by Letitia Bader, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks a lot for, for having me on and, and joining this important conversation. Um, I mean, maybe to start off a, a few years before the war, um, after many, many years and decades of, of repression in Ethiopia, especially against individuals and groups which were perceived as opposition to the ruling coalition. In, in 2018, um, and I would say early 2019, there was really a moment of hope across the country. Um, there were widespread releases of the country's thousands political uh, detainees. Um, there were commitments by the now a uh, prime minister who came to office at the time around legal reforms, opening up of freedom of expression, which had been very, very restricted. And, and this was really a moment of, of hope across the country. Now, as an organization, I mean, we had already started to raise concerns around the return of certain practices, but also deterioration in the rights context, Starting in, I would say, mid to late 2019, where we were seeing targeting of um, different political groups, um, we saw widespread arrests, but also horrific acts of, of intercommunal violence in Oromia, which started in late 2019. And this really deteriorated further in, in, in mid 2020, following the killing in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, of a very popular and loved Oromo um, singer, Hachalu Hundesa. Mm. Now, following that, we saw um, bouts of protests, mourners taking to the streets, um, and, and in many towns in the country, and, and especially in Oromia, we saw security forces coming out and clamping down on those protests. But at the same time, we also saw targeting of ethnic minority communities, and especially the Amhara community, in parts of Oromia where these protests and this unrest were happening as well. Now, I, before I turn to the, the conflict in, in northern Ethiopia, I think it's important to highlight how difficult real-time reporting on Ethiopia is. Doing human rights research on Ethiopia has always been very difficult. As an organization, we have most of the time for the last two decades, I no. would say, had to, had to do a lot of our research from outside. Now, this has been particularly difficult in the last two or three years because the government has repeatedly shut down communications, which makes it very difficult, obviously, for organizations like ourselves. It makes it very difficult for humanitarian organizations to be able to assess needs on the ground. But obviously, and, and in many ways, even more importantly, it makes it very difficult for communities in, in the diaspora to know what is happening to their loved ones. Now, we saw this in Oromia, in Western um, Oromia, where there has been a long um, counterinsurgency operation going on for several years now. Um, and we've been seeing it especially in, in Tigray region, almost since the beginning of the conflict there. So now coming to the conflict in Tigray, which started in um, November 2020. For, for six weeks or so, two months, I would say, it was almost impossible to get any information about what was happening. Now, as an organization, we traveled to Sudan to meet with the tens of thousands of refugees that had initially been able to flee from Tigray in the first week 
weeks of the conflict. And, and it was speaking to them that we started to get a sense of, of the magnitude of the abuses which had happened, especially by the government forces and their allies in the early offensive when they went into Western Tigray and other parts of Tigray in, in those first few weeks of late 2020. Now, this conflict has now expanded. Um, in in mid-2021, um, we saw the federal government forces and, and, and their allies pull out of most, but not all, of Tigre. Um, Western Tigre zone, which is a, a, a zone which, as an organization with Amnesty International, we have documented very serious abuses to date um, in what we have found to be a campaign of ethnic cleansing against the Tigrean population there. So that was a zone which remained under control of the Amhara regional forces and federal government forces. But in, in, in mid-2021, the, the federal government forces pulled out of most of Tigray, and it was then the Tigrayan forces which controlled um, large parts of, of the Tigray region. But what they then did was that the Tigrayan forces moved out into the Amhara region and also the Afat region. There have been a whole range of human rights abuses which have been committed by all the warring parties. Yeah. Two trends yeah. in particular we have documented um, have been both sexual violence, um, predominantly but not only against women and girls, um, but also targeted deliberate attacks against civilian infrastructure. Now, we really saw this in the first nine months of the conflict in Tigre, where literally what was a good health um, system, health services, was deliberately targeted and destroyed, both physical destruction, but also massive looting of health facilities. Yeah. So as you can imagine, this had an impact and an e immediate impact on communities, but that's having an impact to date yeah. on the communities. Letitia Batter, Horn of Africa Director with Human Rights Watch, thank you so much for just kind of lay laying out the basics for our listeners who maybe have not been paying the sufficient attention to this crisis in East Africa. I want to bring in Ade Hagos, the founder of Cafe Romanat, an Ethiopian restaurant in Oakland, to be able to tell us what this felt like to, to watch this crisis unfold from here in the Bay Area. Ade, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So talk to me about what your day might be like. You would be going about you know, running your restaurant and the day would end and then what would happen? Yeah, so I have a lot of people. I'm from Tigray, which is the North Ethiopia. I was, as you explained already, Tanisha. I'm Tigrayan. And, uh, you know, I have a business. I have two kids, husband. And, uh, yeah, so um, I have a lot of people support in my country before, family and uncle, aunt, everything. Now I cannot access no communication. Um, just like every morning you wake up and just hear like, you know, news, like, you know, they walk like three hours, four hours mm. to get the access, the internet, send the message. It's not even like, you know, to talk to them, to send the message. That's like, you know, oh yeah, your uncle is dying or your aunt is like, you know, she doesn't have food and they start being sick. There is no medication. My father, I cannot even say bye that tell him like you know i love him i cannot mm. even accept that i heard news your dad is passed away 
oh, lack of medicine. I'm so sorry. A week later, again, I just don't want to even like, you know, I was, you know, depressing, you know, he raised me. I didn't see him for three years and it's like, you know, 21 months, what happening? And I was like, so depressing. My family, my husband affect, of course, all the communities also. My uncle died, lack of medicine. Mm-hmm. My aunt died, lack of medicine. Mm-hmm. It's just so difficult for me to have all this, like, you know, bad news every day. Yeah. It's We're- not even like, we cannot even access them, like, you know, to support money. There is no communication. It's just so difficult for all it- the community. I must just feel kind of helpless. What what do you do for support? Like, have you been able to draw on your community here in the Bay Area? No, like, you know, we cannot even, like, you know, support our people. There is no access to the internet. There is no access money. We just, like, you know, just crying every day. The humanitarians, they're blocking Ethiopian government in, in Ethiopia in Addis Ababa, in Afar region, there's just a lot of medicines, a lot of foods they cannot access to Tigray. It's not enough. They say this, oh, we got like, you know, one truck, two truck, but how many people is millions live in Tigray? Mm-hmm. It's not enough even one truck, three trucks at all. Yeah. Well, and Ade, what it, about here in the, in the Bay Area? Like, what has the effect been of this conflict at home between the, the different groups? A lot. They affect them a lot. Like, you know, with the kids, they have kids, they have, you know, go school and not able, like, you know, drop them off on time and pick them up and following the homeworks. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the people community from Tigray Hills are depressing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not themselves. Like, you know, they can't even, like, you know, handle it, how their business. I have a lot of friends from Ethiopia, they have businesses, restaurants, other businesses, and they have kids also support, they have family to support. And they cannot do it. Yeah. We are talking about the conflict and humanitarian crisis in Ethiopia and the effect that it has had on the Bay Area Ethiopian communities. We're joined by Letitia Bader, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch. And we know Adi Hagos has joined us. She's the founder of Cafe Romanat, an Ethiopian restaurant in Oakland. Adi, we know that you've got a, a restaurant to run, but I thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm so sorry to hear about your father. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Are you part of one of the Ethiopian communities in the Bay Area? How are you and your loved ones doing? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We'll be joined by a panel of people from the different communities right after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the civil war in Ethiopia and the emerging humanitarian crisis and how it's affecting Ethiopians here in the Bay Area. We're joined by Letitia Bader, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch. And I want to bring on our panel of folks from our community here. Isaias Hailemariam is a legal scholar and member of the Global Society of Tigray Scholars and Professionals. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I would like to thank KKVD for facilitating this uh, forum and uh, bringing this to everyone's attention. Uh, so I think... Uh, oh, hold on. Oh, I say it's one, one second. Let me just bring everybody else in and then we'll we'll get into things. One, well, just one second. Uh, we also have uh, Hannah Tamrat, co-organizer of San Francisco Bay Area, Amara Ethiopians. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And we have Robel Gezacho, uh, leader of the Bay Area Oromo Youth Association. Welcome, Robel. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I wanted to start out on a, on a, a little bit of a more personal level. Uh, and Hannah, I want to I start with you. I want to just hear from you. Like, how did you come to be in the Bay Area's Ethiopian community? And how would you describe that community before the fighting started? <laughs> Well, thank you for that question. Um, before the war started, um, the community, even um, actually where, where the tension has started is way before the war um, in, in 2019, uh, after uh, the prime minister came to power, where there were, uh, it, it became clear that uh, the it, it's an as a, as an Oromo led government. It was targeting uh, Amhara et- ethnic groups, um, the the population, and um, just uh, murdering and um, just committing atrocities against the Amhara population. So by that time already, there have been um, divisions here in 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 the community. And- how did that show up in the in the community? Like, did people well, split off much, of where they, you know, had gone to eat or gone to worship or go parks they went to? It wasn't that clear uh, just yet. Um, this Amhara movement is really a, a recent phenomena. Um, I would say, in a matter of weeks, and. Um, you know, the, it's it's a it's a rare voice, by the way, in 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 media, and but as as things started to develop and become clear, are the our attendance of churches, um, soccer games, these sort of things became uh, clearly distinct. Uh, we all started to uh, m- migrate into our ethnic groups. Uh, I'm pri- I'm primarily Amhara, but I'm actually of mixed ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, most of us 
are uh, really concerned with the Amhara genocide uh, that's active and has been going on for the last uh, 30 years, but uh, even as far as 50 plus years. And we're every day we're waking up to uh, a news of uh, hundreds of Amharas being just uh, indiscriminately killed. Um, and the, the latest one is Tolly uh, massacre and, and then Kalem within uh, two weeks. The, that Tolly massacre was on June 18, Father's Day here. Um, and close to 1,500 uh, or more uh, have been confirmed death, uh, confirmed by the uh, Amhara Association of America and uh, Genocide Prevention in Ethiopia reports show, and some some uh, international media have also uh, covered that. Uh, but it's it's just so depressing and it's it's scary. I I, I find myself uh, wanting to wear black all the time, like mm. I'm in mourning. I feel uh, I feel very sad, literally every day. Yeah, you know. Robel Gesicho, uh, leader of Bay Area Romo Youth Association. I, I wanted to ask you the same question. How did you come to be in the Bay Area's Ethiopian community? And how how did it look to you? I mean, you're you're in the youth association, you're younger, coming up in this kind of diasporic community that had kind of mixed together a bunch of different ethnic groups from Ethiopia. How does this feel to you to see these ethnic divisions you know, harden? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think my perspective is very different having grown up here. Um, you know, growing up, uh, I'm about 24 years old now, uh, but I was heavily involved in the Ethiopian community <clears throat> um, growing up. Like, I think between maybe like age 16 to age 21, I want to say, a lot of my advocacy was actually through the Ethiopian Community Center and the Ethiopian community. However, the older I got, the more I started to learn about the, uh, the implicit biases that existed within the community that ultimately, you know, pushed me out of that and made me, you know, reclaim my, my family's ethnic identity. Um, hmm. And, you know, it was, it was really the assassination of Hajj al-Hundesa that, you know, made everything super clear to me. Um, you know, there wasn't any initiatives from the Ethiopian community to have a vigil, to, you know, hold candlelight, to hold prayers, memorials, etc., um, and that to me was a wake up call. And it was like, you know, the, it, it doesn't seem like my ethnic, you know, backgrounds or my, you know, Oromia's issues happen to be Ethiopian issues. And so for that reason, you know, I had to, I had to leave the community ultimately. And, you know, I've, I've always been a part of the Bay Area Oromo community, but I had this, uh, this journey of reclaiming my identity and, you know, I'm a proud Oromo. I identify as Oromo first. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I've ended up in the space I'm in now. What about, I like, am not. Yeah. What about friends that, that you came up with though, who were like Kamara or Tigray and like from, from way back, um, what, what's happened to those folks? You know, there's, um, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, if I'm being completely transparent, there are family members we don't speak to anymore. There are friends that we don't speak to anymore. And it's, it's really unfortunate um, and I think in the entire Ethiopian community, there lacks the sense of empathy to be able to separate human rights from politics. Um, and I, I think that's what you clearly see today is um, there is no distinguishing um, what is morally 
um, right and wrong. Everything ties into your political affiliation. Um, no one cares to ask about what your perspective on the human rights issue is. It's the second you say, like, if I walk into a room and say, oh, you know, I'm Oromo first, then there's all these, you know, made up, you know, assumptions of what I believe, who I support, who I think should live, who I think should die, who I think should eat, who shouldn't. Um, and that's, you know, and that's just for me growing up here. I can't even imagine what it's like for those who, you know, first yeah. generation, like we're first generation, but for our parents who came here mm-hmm. from back home, I can't even imagine what it was like growing up in their different regions, in the capital, you know, identifying with their different identities. Yeah. Hey, thank you for that. I want to bring in Isaias Hylamariam, legal scholar, member of the Global Society of Tigray Scholars and, and Professionals. You know, Isaias, from, from your perspective, like, how do you see the diasporic community here holding together, if at all? I mean, we're hearing about these, the, the way that it's really like just coming apart at the seams. Uh, thank you very much again. Thank you for having me and thank you for uh, having this conversation. Very important uh, discussion. So I think before I dive into the impact uh, in the community, I think uh, uh, earlier Letetia put it very well, but I think I just want to add some points from a different perspective, if you allow me, before uh, describing the uh, impact on local communities. Uh, well, so first, I think the current war in Ethiopia is it's, it's a culmination of a century-old ethnic rivalry and a quest for political and economic dominance uh, by one group uh, to, you know, from the other. And that age-old uh, issue just found a conducive environment during this current prime minister, who, by the way, he is a, a Nobel Peace Prize, but he turned uh, a war entrepreneur. Right. Uh, won, won the Peace Prize for uh, cutting peace exactly, deal with Eritrea. Exactly. Exactly. It's just very, very tricky. He tricked the West, actually. He is a Nobel Peace Prize, but at the same time, he is, he is now a conflict or war entrepreneur. He's responsible for the days of thousands and thousands of people. Uh, so I think I agree with Latetia, but I think even though there were uh, problems in, in, in Ethiopia in the past during the previous EPRDF coalition, I think the country enjoyed a relative, relatively like a better peace and was uh, it was in high economic growth trajectory and had... Uh, uh, international relevance uh, back then. There was uh, no massacre as, as, as we see it now, right now. So I think even though there were problems in the past, and I think Ethiopia is now a hell, like it's a hell. Uh, so it's a kind of stretch, actually. So the current prime minister, he's, he holds a PhD in conflict resolution. He holds conflict resolution PhD, but he ended up being a conflict entrepreneur, like I said earlier. He's busy conspiring political assassinations. So, yeah, Robert mentioned about the Hajjal Hundensa, the famous uh, uh, pop star singer. But actually, the chief of staff of the Ethiopian military, the, the first, the top person, the first person was assassinated in his office, actually. I believe by the current prime minister, I, I believe. And many other, even even the, uh, the, uh, the head of state of the Amhara state himself was killed uh, during this prime minister. A lot of political assassinations. We've ever seen that in the past. So, I mean, this person he turned Ethiopia into hell, and in the community is is deeply divided. Uh, I mean, the social fabric is completely destroyed. Uh, so, yeah. when I when we come to the uh, the, the impact on local communities, and first, uh, I just want to uh, describe from from my personal perspective. Before the war, I volunteered and supported many people from the Ethiopian community but using my skills. I never cared who is who. And, uh, you know, right after the, the war, immediately, unfortunately, I received hate speech and message mm. just from the uh, bombing of civilians and false 
you know, uh, narrative about the, the war, like from people that I know, actually, it's very painful and very disturbing. So because I grew up, you know, respecting and loving everyone. So I didn't care about whose ethnicity. Uh, but unfortunately, this false sense of Ethiopia, like the uh, the false unity, it just push you, it just push you to, to, to uh, if, you know, to be affiliated with your ethnic group. I, I, con I concur with Rabel. I agree with him. This false unity, this, you know, they do have, they don't have, most of these people don't have any sympathy uh, about what was happening in, in Tigray, even what's happening currently. So if rape is committed against uh, any woman, it's a, it's a crime against anyone. It's a crime against humanity. It, sh it shouldn't matter who committed the crime, right? But even 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 seeing the uh, CNN investigative reports where uh, uh, a woman was a woman was raped by twenty something people, they even inserted foreign object in her uh, private parts. They have seen it. They have seen the video, but they deny it. So they say this is fake report. They don't even agree with you know uh, uh, you know watching such shocking uh, reports. So that's very painful, and that uh, that alone it just you know uh, it. It push you to 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 take side and uh, you know yeah. advocate for uh, the uh, impacted group. Uh, so that's I think that's a reality. The impact on local community is very significant. Uh, I know many Tigrayans in the San Francisco Bay Area who lost immediate family members, uh, their relatives being raped, and most of uh, you know uh, your Tigrayan neighbors have not heard from their uh, immediate family members for months and months, mm -hmm. and. Uh, probably your Tigrayan Uber driver may have lost his brother or father and your Tigrayan nurse may have her sister raped by the Ethiopian airtime troops. Your local Tigrayan restaurant owner may have his, uh, uh, you know, hard-earned property asset uh, in Ethiopia looted uh, and confiscated by the Eritrean and, and Ethiopian uh, troops. Uh, emotionally, it was very significant. There's a collective trauma uh, on members of the Tigran community. Like I uh, explained earlier, uh, you know, when you lose your family members, your property, hard-earned property being looted, uh, it's just yeah. not, it's not easy. Yeah. And economically, economically, it's very uh, impactful, uh, supporting multiple family members. So one family has to support 10 or 15 people uh, from you know, whatever you have. Like people uh, earning minimum wage have to support, uh, you know, 10 to 15 people back in, in, in Tigray uh, and, uh, and yeah. spending significant amount of time on protests and legislative advocacy like we do and social media activism. People have to, you know, spend a lot of time. They have less time to work and yeah. sleep uh, as well. Uh, overall, the war has deeply divided the uh, uh, local communities. Yeah. Thank you. That was Isaias Hailamari. And we're also joined by Hannah Tamrat, co-organizer of San Francisco Bay Area Amhara Ethiopians and Robel Gezacho. Uh, leader of the Bay Area Romo Youth Association. A uh, couple of little bits of context for our listeners. Uh, we've mentioned the Eritrean military, which got involved in the Civil War. Tigray is in the north of Ethiopia and uh, borders shares a border um, with Eritrea. That's how that's just just for people who are trying to imagine their heads. What why there are uh, troops from another country there? Um, Letitia Batter, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch. I wanted you to describe a little bit of the this other crisis that is occurring, which is a very serious drought, um, as well as you know we've had grain shipments um, impacted out of Ukraine and Russia by the other you know major war right now. Um, so what does that mean for the sort of food security situation in Ethiopia right now? 
I mean, we're talking about multiple humanitarian crises and, and disasters right now as we speak. I mean, the, the Horn of Africa as a whole is particularly affected um, by, by the drought. Um, and so there are parts of Ethiopia, notably the Somali region, which similarly to Somalia right now is, is, is really on the brink. Um, but we're obviously, and I think it's important to come back a bit to the context of, of, of the war as well. I mean, some of the trends that we have documented during the conflict have also involved deliberate attacks and restrictions on humanitarian actors. I mean, Ethiopia last year, and especially in the first nine months of the conflict in the Tigray region, was the country in the world where there was the highest numbers of humanitarian actors that were killed. And so we're talking about a space which is... Um, hardly conducive for humanitarian work. Um, we're talking about humanitarians that have been targeted. We're talking about, I mean, we have also seen how um, national staff and, and, and pr predominantly Tigrayans working within the humanitarian community were not immune to what have been widespread targeting of Tigrayans in ethnically targeted arrests throughout the country. There was a state of emergency in the country in late 2021, and many humanitarian staff were arrested during that. So, and you're also speaking about a context in which very high level UN actors have been kicked out of the country. Um, so it's, it's really not a very conducive environment. As, as, as you know as well, Tigray region as we speak continues to be in, in what we have described and characterized as an effective siege. There is more humanitarian assistance going in right now, but since the beginning of the conflict really, we have seen a whole range of measures by the federal government and other regional governments, which have made getting humanitarian assistance into the region very, very difficult. And, and as Patricia, what about the Amharan uh, communities? Are you able to get humanitarian aid or is humanitarian aid able to get to those places as well or, or not there either? Well, there is more going in now. I mean, when the Tigrayan forces moved into the Amhara region as well, I mean, we were once again speaking about a context in which it was very difficult for the humanitarian community to scale up in. Um, there had also been a lot of pretty um, uh, worrying rhetoric at the highest levels of both the government in the Amhara region, but also the federal government against the humanitarian community, especially in the first nine months of the Tigrayan conflict. So there were also very real security concerns initially, I would argue, in, in late 2021 in particular, for the humanitarian community to scale up in the Amhara region and then also obviously in the Afad region, which is, is a part of the country which has for, for, for years and years been neglected. So obviously here we're talking about a humanitarian crisis on top of, of, of an already neglected region. Yeah, we're talking about the civil war in Ethiopia and really a, a, an emerging very, very serious humanitarian crisis and how it's affecting Ethiopians here in the Bay Area. You were just listening to, listening to Letitia Bader, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the civil war in Ethiopia, the crisis there, how it's affecting Ethiopians here in the Bay Area. We're joined by uh, Robel Gezicho, leader of the Bay Area Romo Youth Association, Hannah Tamrat, co-organizer of the San Francisco Bay Area Amhara Ethiopians, and Isaias Hailemariam, uh, legal scholar and member of the Global Society of Tigray Scholars and Professionals. And uh, we've also heard from Letitia Bader, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch. Uh, I want to get to uh, at least a couple of calls here. Uh, Ibrahim in San Jose, welcome to the show. No, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. My name is Ibrahim. I'm from Ethiopia. I live in the Bay Area almost 20-some years. And the last 20 years, we was fighting uh, the previous government, uh, the Tigray uh, government. We call them Tigray government. The Tigray people, they want to lead the country the 27 years. Now we remove them. They get mad and upset. They want to lead another 100 years. And Amara, Oromo, they came. They want to lead another 100 years. And Amara, they want to lead another 100. This is power struggling. They fight for power. They kill the country. Well, and in America, so many countries will live together, but in Ethiopia, Ethiopians, we cannot live together mm. because of those three tribes. Mm. I don't know what they're thinking. The, yeah. the country is destroyed. The, the, the leader we have now is amazing. It looks like a dream for us. God sent us from the sky to tell you the truth. He's an amazing leader, but because he don't want to accept them by tribe, he hate, they hate him. They say, oh, he, he's not Amara. He's not all. He, he, his mother is Amara. His dad is Oromo. Uh, he is a Muslim. He's Christian. He have everything. So they couldn't find any reason uh, to hate him. They just hate him. He say he don't support Amara. They blame. Oromo, they say he don't support Oromo. They blame. Tigrayan, they blame. He's a good leader. People love him. He do so many changes the last three years. Just because of he don't like tribal, uh, he, they hate him. He don't want that. We don't want that. And these people sitting there, even they are organizing by tribe. They don't organize by Ethiopia. They divide us. San Jose, we divide. We have different church. Tigrayan, they have church. Oromo, they have church. Amara, they have church. Yeah. We're spending so much money uh, because of the tribe. One church is in a four of us. One mosque is in a four of us. But because of the tribe, even we divide in America. We know it's like before. We we love yeah. each other before. We love each other. We live together. Now, even our kids, they confuse. We don't know where to talk to them because of these three people. They are organizing Oromo. They are organizing Amara. They are organizing Tigray. What about other small tribes? Ibrahim, thank you. No, thank you for thank you for sharing uh, your perspective. And I, I, 
I'd just be mad. I'd love to respond to that. Yeah, <clears throat> sure. Yeah, go go ahead. Um, you know, I think there's an interesting perspective that I brought up, um, particularly referring to the last 27 years. And I think, I think oftentimes this gets brought up a lot. It's you know, you know, for the past 27 years, you know, we've been fighting, but no one talks about prior to the 27 years. I mean, if you really look at you know the dates these liberation movements were founded, the Ormo Liberation Front was founded in 1973. The Tigrayan People Liberation Front was founded in 1975. So these ethnic movements, these uh, liberation movements surrounding ethnicity and self-determination were much prior to the 27 years a lot of people in Ethiopia refer to. And it's because a, a particular type of group enjoyed freedoms in Ethiopia. Um, you know, there was this cultural assimilation project where, you know, if you didn't speak Amharic, if your name wasn't, you know, Amharic, that, you know, you didn't enjoy the same type of freedoms in the capital. I mean, there's countless Oromos who had their names changed because their teachers told them straight up, you know, you won't find work if you have this Oromo name. So, you know, this, it's really interesting that a lot of people, particularly those who reside from the capital region, you know, have this sentiment of, oh, this last 27 years we've been fighting. And, you know, it was a EPRD, it, might, it was a, a coalition of ethnic parties um, mm -hmm. that ran the country to the ground. And Abiy Ahmed himself was part of this coalition. All he did was dissolve the party. Let's say the prime became, minister for those who exactly. Are, Abiy Ahmed, the prime minister, dissolved the existing party and created a new one. Keep in mind that, you know, Abiy Ahmed himself was supposed to be this transitional leader. He was supposed to come in and was supposed to lead us to elections, but decided to use, you know, COVID as a pretext to cancel election or postpone them, locked up all his uh, opponents. And then now you have this this quote unquote God sent leader, you know, that's thrown the country into into turmoil and chaos. And it's the same type of group that was enjoying those freedoms prior to these 27 years that, you know, want to revert back to the old Ethiopia, the, you know, one language, one religion, you know, one people, when in reality, Ethiopia is one person's or one ethnicity's um, point of, you know, pride is another person's point of demise. It's a, another person's like dark, you know, story. And so how do you have, you know, national fabric in a country where one language is forced upon you, where, you know, religion is forced upon you. It, it, it truly baffles me when, you know, people think that Ethiopia before these 27 years was this, you know, great place where everyone lived together in, in harmony. When in reality, these ethnic liberation movements outdate a lot, a lot of us. Uh, Hana Tamrat, co-organizer, San Francisco Bay Area, Amhara, Ethiopians, you know, in, when you hear for for an outsider to hearing the descriptions of the political history of Ethiopia and the divisions that uh you know are are here in the the bay area as well it feels like the amara people there there's very different representations like how how do you feel what what kind of misrepresentations of the amara do you think uh exist um thank you um the, the, I, I I have to disagree with the uh, the the previous the caller and um, uh, Robel. Um, there there hasn't been uh, any uh, real Amhara uh, power over the country for like I said earlier the last fifty years. Uh, even under the Derg regime, which came into power in nineteen seventy four. For those who don't know, um, that was the, the Marxist regime that followed uh, Haile Selassie. Correct. 
Um, he's an Oromo, by the way, uh, Mangustu Halamariam, and um, has been targeting uh, also uh, the Amhara elites um, and uh, killing. But currently, it's it's uh, just uh, targeting up to like farmers. It's just if there was power, the that I there would have been saving people. Um, there are infants as young as four months old to elderly, 84-year-old was the latest registered. They're just being killed. It's just so overwhelming and it's hard to understand what's going on. Um, I just I just wanted to quickly go back to what uh, there was mentioned, the Hachalu Hendesa uh, artist death. Uh, all of us, you can all go back and check our social media. We were all expressing sympathy. But immediately after, there were made calls uh, to kill uh, Amharas. Um, hate messages across social media by Oromo Liberation uh, Army and Oromo Liberation Front uh, sympathizers just scapegoating Amharas and just killing. And it followed with the Shashamene massacre. And that's just all part of the Amhara genocide that's active. Um, just everything is blamed on Amhara. And, and that's the, the misrepresentation. It's based on a false narrative from um, a century ago, uh, which is not even verifiable. We are verifying right now what's happening. There are, th this is gonna be graphic for your listeners. I'm sorry, but I've had to deal with it. People are dealing with it directly there. And so I have to have muster the courage to speak about it. Pregnant women is um, uh, cut open and an unborn child is taken out because they don't want Amhara uh, to be born. You know, that is, that is crazy. That's subhuman. Um, I don't know how they can sit here and really talk about this as, as if it's just uh, a normal thing. You know, right. uh, it's very overwhelming. Mm. And um, th this this has started many, many years ago. And by the way, when, when they refer to the Ethiopian forces, they want to imply that they are Amhara, but that's not true. The generals, the high officials, uh, the leaders of the cities, all the administrations are of Oromo ethnicity currently. So I don't understand when they're when they're blaming Amhara. Um, for for all of this, there there may be Amhara um, people who are working as second leaders. They're just basically sellouts, are killing their own, helping kill their own people. But they don't represent the the real Amhara people. The Amhara people that are being killed are farmers. They just want to live. Um, they, they just want to live their lives and and to make a living. These people don't not only they don't have access to internet, but they don't. They don't even use internet to begin with, let alone have a lack of communication and, and that sort of thing. Thank and you, Hannah. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to, wanted to move on. I just want to make sure we get to some some sense of healing here. And I, and I also wanted to note that you know pretty much every uh, international observer um, has said that you know atrocities have really been committed in to every party by every party in this conflict, and that there's just there's just been so much so much suffering. 
of the of the kind you've described and of the sort of trends that Letitia Botter, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch, uh, was was describing earlier. I do want to get, and I'm going to, I say, I'm going to come to you first on this, and we're going to get to everybody. Um, The the diaspora community is big. It is a major part of the the overall kind of sense of Ethiopians around the the world, as I understand it. What role could that diaspora community play in, in trying to bring peace and in trying to bring healing, if not there, then here? Says? Thanks, yeah, Alex. Uh, so I think there are, there are a lot of things that the diaspora community should do. But I think before that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of horror happened in Tigray uh, for the past two years. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody should be invaded. Uh, and when Ukraine was invaded, we all tried to, be, to show sympathy, solidarity and concern. But what happened in Ukraine is just heartbreaking. Uh, but unfortunately, the genocidal war in Tigray that claimed hundreds of thousands of lives did not get a fraction of attention given to Ukraine uh, first because to resolve a problem, so we have to have a common understanding of what's happening in Ethiopia and especially in Tigray. Uh, According to the Washington Post, the world's deadliest war is in Ukraine. It is in Ethiopia, actually. That's that's what it says. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. true. Uh, It's true. According to one Australian organization, up to half a million people may have been killed in Tigray. you know, America or the world uh, uh, didn't react uh, to the, the, the crisis in Tigray as it did to Ukraine. If it's about human life, every life should matter. Uh, you know, members of the America, African-American lawmakers, for example, we thought would relate somehow, uh, turn a blind eye. I personally, I, you know, tried to reach out to my district congresswoman, uh, Lee Barbaroli's office, who I voted for many years uh, in Auckland, uh, they wouldn't even allow us for a 30-minute Zoom uh, town hall, even with their uh, uh, staffers, let alone with her. And, we, you know, Congress uh, member Karambas of, you know, um, uh, Los Angeles area, the chairwoman of the House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee uh, for Africa. Uh, we tried to reach her out. Uh, unfortunately, uh, she also did not, you know, she didn't try to support the uh, Tigray cause or, uh, you know, to resolve the crisis in Ethiopia. There was, by the way, there was a legislation uh, back in 2021, the HR 1183, uh, which was meant to address this crisis. Uh, it was watered down uh, or killed before the legislation made it to the uh, House floor. Uh, we tried to, you know, explain to her we didn't get uh, enough attention. Uh, I think we're losing you there for a second. I say it. Um, we'll try and check your line. Um, Robo uh, um I wanted to ask you this kind of future-focused question too. Do you think that you that the the current sort of uh, conflict can be resolved without sort of changing the whole political structure of uh, of Ethiopia? And is that something that that Bay Area diasporic Ethiopians are kind of pushing for to to find some deeper resolution? Um, in addition to just ending the war and peace? Um, you know, it's a multi-layered question that, that has many answers, but, it, you know, my personal perspective on the matter is that you are, th- this war is a war of ideologies. It's a war of, of continuing to live in a multinational Ethiopia. Um, it's a fight for secession, which the constitution of the country, 
you know, allows for, or it's a former unitarian government and, you know, have this national, um, you know, identity and national fabric, which cannot exist in a nation of zero accountability and, um, you know, one where we just deny each other's crimes. You know, in the first seven months during which the Ethiopian Eritrean and allied forces from the Mahar region controlled the Tigray region, they committed some of the worst war crimes known to man, including weaponized rape, massacres, man-made starvation, and have created an aid blockade, which has forced literally every hospital in the region to shut down. And you have to realize when this war began, nobody from the Abbey and um, Amhara extremist Fano camp even admitted to a war existing. They called it a law enforcement operation. The war began on November 4th, 2020 on election day. And on November 28th, Abiy Ahmed, the prime minister himself, claimed victory over the TPLF and that the law enforcement campaign was over. And this is a blatant lie. You know, and, and then it, he also goes on to claim that the Eritrean forces never stepped foot into Ethiopia. And throughout all these war crimes for seven, eight months, no one from that camp even admitted to these crimes existing, to Eritrean forces coming in and invading. It just it was all made up to them. Um, I think Sias talked about this earlier. And, you know, this type of issue has been going on for a while. And and prior to this war beginning, Letitia mentioned it, you know, military command posts were set up in Western Oromia and, and indiscriminate arrests and violent attacks and communica communication blockades were common for those suspected of supporting the Orma Liberation Army. Hanna mentioned the Tole massacre in which the Orma Liberation Army is accused of committing and the Orma Liberation Army themselves and almost every other warring party except the Ethiopian government themselves has called for independent investigations. And in the absence of independent investigations, you cannot claim that these things are true and there's one party that's denying these independent investigations so my question is how can you you know deny independent investigators and then also claim that these things haven't happened and then go on and and try to make peace with your neighbors without actually putting any effort into it so you know my answer to you is that there is there is no national fabric right now yeah. except for those who 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 reside in this you know false just identity of, of unity, which doesn't exist. It's a scam. Letitia Butter, uh, Horn of Africa director with Human Rights Watch, just as with our last few seconds before we, we head out, um, do you see hope for a long lasting peace in, in Ethiopia right now, given just the, the intensity of the, uh, of the things that we're hearing about right now? Well, I just wanted to pick up on, on the last points that were made. I mean, from, from our point of view, it is absolutely essential to ensure that there are ongoing, credible, independent investigations into the abuses which have been happening for the last, well, almost two years now. And so, you know, we've continued to push and, and to advocate for what has now been established by the Human Rights Council in Geneva for a really thorough investigation in, in what's going on, not only in northern Ethiopia, but also so in other conflict-affected areas, as, as we've been discussing in Oromia as well. I think, you know, final point in terms of what communities can do in the diaspora, I mean, it's been very obvious that there is much less attention to the horrific abuses which have been carrying on in Ethiopia since Letitia, the war. I think we're going to have to leave it there. I'm so sorry. We're running out of time. We've been talking about the civil war in Ethiopia and how it's been affecting Ethiopians here in the Bay Area, joined by Letitia Bader with Human Rights Watch, Isaiah Hailamariam, Hannah Tamrat, and Robel. Giza Chu. Thanks to Oaklandside for inspiring this show. Uh, sorry we didn't get to all the calls. There were a lot. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.